Well, we're in Luke chapter 4. Let me just read the first four verses. Luke 4, verses 1 to 4. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Well, we've been a while laying the foundation for looking at these uh, temptations. We looked at the contrast between the Jordan Valley when Jesus was baptized, the companions he had there, the presence of many friends, the, uh, the refreshing waters, the, the verdant pastures, uh, his baptism in obedience to his Father, uh, the descending of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and that, uh, those words from his Father, you are my Son, and with you I am well pleased. And then straight after, uh, driven by the Spirit into the desert, and the contrast there, the lack of all things, and uh, he's there for 40 days, and he eats nothing. It's a time of fasting and a time of prayer, and then there's the confrontation. Now, Luke suggests the confrontation is happening throughout the 40 days, and then particularly at the end, the devil comes uh, with these three temptations that we'll be uh, looking at one by one. So there's the confrontation, and it's the very devil of hell, a fallen archangel, immensely powerful, very, very intelligent, and uh, very cunning and wily and uh, he has an objective to oppose God. He can't get at God, so he gets at God's pride and joy and delight and his image in, in mankind. And then we thought last time about the contrast that Jesus experienced, and we experience such contrasts in our lives, and uh, great plenty and then great uh, need can come. But uh, God is constant throughout, through all the changing scenes of life, God remains the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same. So now we come on to the temptations uh, themselves. Forty days of fasting. Now we need to pause there. Because I strongly believe that fasting is perhaps the most neglected means of grace in the church today um, and ask myself a question ask you the question when's the last time you had a fast I don't suggest 40 40 days that is quite extraordinary but to give a day to give a day uh, fasting uh, denying bodily appetites for a, a while and uh, focusing on spiritual needs uh, particularly the time of um, decision that you might have to make or the commencement of a ministry as Jesus Christ uh, here was commencing on his public ministry into the desert led by the Spirit and 40 days and 40 
nights there of, of fasting. It might be just a, a meal. Maybe it's breakfast and lunch and you set that time aside to read the Scriptures and to pray, to focus on a particular need. Do I marry this person? Do I take this job? Do we send our children to this uh, school? Uh, needs for a church. Are we calling this man to be an elder? Are we calling this gentleman to be our pastor? Oh Lord, our financial needs are pretty straightening and we have big decisions to make. Is it just a cursory prayer here and there? <clears throat> Is there a time to, to fast as individuals uh, and to fast as a gathered church? Jesus fasted for these 40 days. I wonder what he was doing. He wasn't just going uh, without food. We get a, a little insight, I believe, in Hebrews chapter 5, those 40 days uh, in the desert. Hebrews 5, verse 7, speaking of Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And in those 40 days, my friends, he would have suffered physically because he really was a man. He's almighty God, certainly, but he's also really a man. A man there is a, a real Man, and he had to learn the pains of hunger and going through those pain barriers and what it was to focus his human soul on the area of, of prayer and discipline. And he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So he's much in prayer. <clears throat> his soul is being strengthened for the battle that is about to commence in reality. <clears throat> Prayer again, as well as fasting, a much neglected means of grace. How the Lord Jesus Christ prayed. Here, 40 days set aside prayer and fasting. He'd get up a good while before it was light. He'd leave his disciples. He'd go out on a mountainside to pray. There's nothing uh, particularly blessed about a mountainside. The key thing is here, he's trying to find some solitude to commune with his Father. Uh, he sees it as absolutely essential. So astonished are his disciples by his prayer life, they come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. We've said prayers, but Lord, would you teach us to pray? It's a prayer he will still answer today. It is absolutely vital that we see our need to pray. But what various hindrances we meet in coming to the mercy seat. Just finding that time as individuals. You know, busy lives of young families, I appreciate that. I've, I've, I've been there. Different phase. Uh, now I have the luxury of being able to find time and, uh, and a quiet little area but maybe you know mum dad young children busy busy lives uh, you you can actually pray while driving the car instead of turning on the radio 
or uh, downloading something uh, to, to some music to listen to, or you can actually keep that radio off. And as you drive, you can commune with the Lord and offer Him praise for yesterday and keeping you through the night and setting the day and bringing the affairs of your local church before Him and asking Him to, to, to move. Uh, there are opportunities, even sitting on a, a bus and there are people with their headphones on and uh, there are also, you, you can commune. A.W. Tozer uh, was brought up as, uh, in, in a large family and he was converted and it was quite a small house and uh, he used to go down, he would say, into the boiler room where nobody else was apart from the spiders and uh, he would spend time in praying there. The Lord Jesus Christ, 40 days fasting and prayer. And at the end of that time, at his very weakest point physically, the devil comes to him and speaks directly to him. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become Bread, it would be a particular stone, it's this stone. And I, I know who you are. <laughs> Command this stone to become bread. Alleviate your physical need. I, I know you're hungry. And if you are the Son of God, and he uses the same phrase again later on, verse, uh, verse 9, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Uh, it's in great contrast to what the Father has said just uh, 40 days previously, you are my son. And the devil then comes, if you are the son of God. From the heights to uh, the depths, looking to bring doubt on the matter. And he's a master at, at doing this. We have to recognize his tactics. Uh, Adam and Eve. Did God really say you should not eat from this tree? Did God really say that? Now think now, did he really say? And it's the only scripture they'd had. <laughs> now we've got a big, a big Bible here. Thousands of, uh, about 60 odd thousand verses. Now Eve didn't have much. But he'll pour doubt on it. Do you notice that tactic with you? I certainly notice it with me. You call yourself a Christian? And you've done that again? I'm sure it's all up with you. How can you be a Christian if you do things like that? And the temptation comes strongly uh, to Jesus Christ in his hunger... God cannot be hungry. But Jesus was hungry. He is one person with two natures. He is the person of the eternal Son of God. You could read volumes on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very God of very God from all eternity. But around about 4 B.C., to save us from the sting of death, which is sin, according to eternal plan, 
fixed in eternity past. There never was a time when this plan was not there. The Father sends the Son, and the Son willingly comes in the power of the Holy Spirit into this little world, into uh, Bethlehem of Judea in the time of Herod the king. He's been conceived in the womb of a virgin called Mary who's pledged to be married to a man called Joseph. But before they came together, she's found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. God, the Son, taking to himself humanity without ever ceasing to be God. That union. And in Jesus Christ here, at the age of 30, one person, two natures, fully human, just like you and me, fully divine, a human body, human nature, divine nature. He is a human being, but he is the divine person. And we need to understand these things. And he's here to do you good 2,000 years later. <laughs> he's here to do me good 2,000 years later. He's come to put right what went wrong in the Garden of Eden. The problems in France, the problems in Britain, the problems throughout the world, Ukraine and Russia, the problems in your marriage and with your relationships and work situations, the problems in your neighbourhoods cannot be solved by politics. We thank God for politics and for governments and for orders of government, but they're not the final solution. The problem was caused in the Garden of Eden. Sin and rebellion against our Lord, our God, our Maker and our Provider. And Adam got it wrong. And Jesus Christ is presented to you and to me as the last Adam who's putting it right and he does put it right. And it begins here in his confrontation with the devil. Now, will he stand or will he fall? So the devil comes to him at his point of great need, 40 days. And you can do it. I, I'm sure you can do it. Prove to me that you are. Though I actually know you are. But I want you to put on some show for me. Make this stone become bread. Satisfy your hunger. Notice the answer of Jesus Christ. It is so very, very wonderful he doesn't he doesn't make the stone become bread he could have done it because he's God do you know why he doesn't do it because he's representing you and me and you know what you and I can't do that so he doesn't do what we can't but he does what we can and he's standing in my place and he's standing in your place, and he doesn't fall, and he gives the answer, it is written. Now, I can do that. You can do that. When the temptations come, you can do what Jesus has done. Any miracle that Jesus Christ performed was never, check it out, never for his own benefits. Never for the spectacular. Two reasons for the miracles. One, to alleviate human need out of compassion. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I am willing. Be clean. Filled with compassion. 
They're also pointers to his wonderful person that he is truly the Messiah, the Christ who was promised. That the blind would see, uh, the lame would walk, good news would be preached to the poor. His miracles were only in those areas. Compassion for human need and pointers towards who he is. Here in the desert, neither would pertain. There was nobody to see. He had his human need. He didn't satisfy it by using his innate divine power to help his weak humanity. But he did do what you and I are able to do. He knew the scriptures well and he bats back to the devil using Scripture, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. <clears throat> I want you to notice this as well, and I, I'm noticing this. When it comes to the temptation to doubt, the if, Jesus doesn't even answer that point. He passes straight over it. Jesus ignores the if. He doesn't entertain the thought it's not even worthy of a reply. He goes straight to the heart of the matter, make this stone become bread, and he quotes back Scripture. But when it comes to the doubts, he doesn't even entertain the thought. He doesn't give the devil any delight in trying to answer that one. Let me <clears throat> give a little cricketing illustration. There are two main types of bowler that a batsman will face. One is the fast pace bowler. He'll come hurtling down the pitch. He'll throw the ball, the ball down without bending his arm. It will hit the pitch and the batsman has to get into line behind the ball, keeping his eye firmly on the ball and look for the middle of his bat to defend or to attack the ball that's coming towards him. There are some times when the bowler gets frustrated, so he will pitch the ball short and it will bounce and rear up. The temptation for the batsman is to swing at that ball and knock it for six over the boundary. When the bowler pitches the ball short and it bounces high, there's no way it's going to hit the wicket. And a wise batsman will leave that ball alone. There's another type of bowler. He's the spin bowler. Now, he is very wily. Oh, the ball's coming so slowly. And the batsman can think, well, I can certainly hit this one because it's really going quite slowly. But this is a very wily bowler. He can make that ball do all sorts of amazing things when it touches the pitch. One of the greatest exponents was a man called uh, Shane Warne. And uh, he would bowl the ball going quite slowly. And the batsman thinks, I know where it's pitching, I know where it's going. And it moves. It spins this way, that way. And sometimes he's thinking, my God, it's going this way. And it, it goes straight on. And sometimes it keeps low and sometimes it rears up. Oh, you've got to be very careful. And on many occasions where you can, just leave the ball well alone. Do I go back and watch it? Do I come forward and smother it? And a good batsman knows how to tackle 
a spin bowler. Some bowls are best well left alone. The bouncer, the wily ones, and so it is with Jesus and the devil, if I'll not even entertain that. And when he comes to you and to me with the doubts and the ifs, remember, our foundation is not me. Oh yes, you're quite right. I am still... What is a Christian? A saved sinner. Still sinners, we ought to be getting better. Remember the gospel. Are you saved here this morning? Uh, If not, if not, why not? Listen again. Listen, you have a problem, it's called sin. That's why you don't know God. That's why you have this total lack of any certainty about death and the afterlife. But God made you to know Him, not just know about Him. So why don't you know Him? Sin, sin, our waywardness, living in God's world as if He didn't exist, breathing His air, eating His food, enjoying His warmth, enjoying His his creation, and and ignoring Him. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And the sting is death, spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death. There is a hell as well as there is a heaven. And Christ spoke more about hell than He ever spoke about heaven. Why? He doesn't want you to go there. Avoid this place. But come, come, come to me that you might know eternal bliss. And you know, it is eternal bliss in this world. 66 years I've had here now, and it's gone in a flash. And it is a flash, it's a nothing. Is anybody older than me here? Well, some of you are. Are you nodding? Are you really? Well, anyway. But God made us for eternity. And when this passing world is done and billions and trillions and killions and zillions of eons have gone, will you ever remember this world? You know? One thing we'll never forget is Jesus Christ and what he did on this planet. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. How are you going to be there? Sin's the problem. It's only Jesus Christ that can take away your sin. It's not religion. It's not morality. It's only Jesus Christ. To get to heaven, I need a clean life, and I haven't got one. So Jesus Christ became a man to represent you and I, and he lived a perfect life. He went around doing good. All he said and thought and did, including what happens here, he's not going to help himself with his innate power. He will live as you and I need to live in this world, utterly depending on God and giving him all the glory. His father, I am well pleased with you, he says to his son. Don't know what in reality he'd say about you and me. At the end of his life, according to the eternal plan, the wages of sin is death. God, the great economist, sin must be paid for. My friend, you'll either pay for it yourself. And eternity is too short for you to pay off the debt. But on Calvary, there's an amazing event where eternal damnation was paid for by the eternal Son of God in His body on the tree. He suffered in your place. He paid the penalty for you and for me. For all who will trust Him, repent of what they are and turn to Jesus Christ. Now, repentance and faith are inseparable twins. You won't repent unless you believe. When you do believe, you will repent. You cannot have one without the other. There are inseparable twins, but both need to be understood. I repent of what I am and what I've done 
and I turn to my only hope, and it's not religion, morality, it's not what I am or what I've done, it's Jesus Christ. And when you've done that, how do you know it's true? Again, resurrection, resurrection. It's 2023 because of those great events, split time in two. Now, if you have that event in your life, never forget, it's Jesus Christ who saves you. So when the devil comes to you saying, call yourself a Christian, how could you do things like that? I am sorry for my sin, I pray day by day. Forgive me my trespasses, I forgive those who trespass against me. But my hope isn't in me. You don't even have to say this to him, you say it to yourself, all right? Don't even answer him. Have a look at the facts. It's not me, it's Jesus. I'm in Christ, what's my identity? According to Facebook, you can identify in about a hundred different ways. I have only one identity. In Christ. And that's your identity too. And whatever other label you might want to stick on yourself or ask me to give to you, you're either in Christ or in Adam. And thank God I'm in Christ. And it's in Christ alone that my hope is found. It's all of grace, nothing to do with me. And I'm justified and put right with God through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. It's in God's word. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, you who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Peter puts it this way, Christ died for sin once for all, the just on behalf of the unjust to bring you to God. Now it happened. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? It's not you, it's him. God has said it, I believe it, that settles it. My friends, know the gospel well. Speak it to yourself. Hear it often. Read gospel literature. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. My sin, all the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. He's nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. So, he doesn't even entertain that thought, but the temptation is strong and real. He could have turned it into bread. He would not because you cannot. He's representing you and me. Adam failed in the Garden of Eden. Jesus Christ succeeds not only here, we'll learn at the end of this sequence, the devil left him to a more opportune time and he comes back time and time again. He comes back through Peter the disciple. Oh, you're not going to die. Get behind me, Satan. He comes back in the garden of Gethsemane. He comes back at the cross. If you're the son of God, come down from that cross and then we'll believe in you. He doesn't fail at any point. There is not a single batsman in the history of crickets 
who's gone through his whole career without ever being out. Jesus declares at the age of 33, not out. Not out. And he's doing it for you. And he's doing it for me. And so to you and to me, we need to quote Scripture accurately. We need to know it and quote it and believe it. Jesus chooses Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. He remembers the children of Israel going through the desert and God reminds them in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember when you came into the desert, you've been here 40 years, there's no food. You were hungry. You cried out to me and I gave you something which hadn't been seen before. I provided miraculously for your need. I'm able to do that. And manna. And remember your clothes, they never wore out. And your shoes, they didn't. The leather, still as fresh as it was 40 years ago. God, into, God is able to do what you and I cannot do. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And he chooses that. Make this stone. Oh, 40 days is nothing, says Jesus. My people were 40 years. And they had to learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I trust in his providence. So in my situation and yours, when the devil says you're going through a tough time and God has abandoned you, he doesn't love you anymore. Maybe it's financial difficulties and they're going to be increasing in the coming days. It would, uh, it's quite obvious so the devil might say, well, fiddle your expenses. You could get a few more pounds on that petrol allowance there. Just uh, doesn't, doesn't, nobody notices. And that tax return, just change one or two things here or there. You'll get some more money. Sell that dodgy item on, on eBay. Who's going to know? Uh, don't bother taxing your car this year. It's quite rare. Uh, make some false statements on your insurance documents. Uh, take that compromising job, maybe, because at least... You're going to get some, some income. Volunteer to work on a Sunday because they pay double. They pay, you'd be a fool not to volunteer. They can't make you, but you volunteer. And uh, take that loan you can't afford for that thing that you don't actually need. He'll come to you with many, many uh, things that you can turn stone into bread. But no. Know the Bible well. Know Jesus well and use the Bible well. Coming to a conclusion here this morning when it comes to food and to, to clothes. I trust we have enough. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, look at the lilies of the field. Do you trust him? Do I trust him? When the devil comes with the temptations, no, it is written, seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Remember all he's done for you so far. 
He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also, together with these things, gladly give you all things? God, keep trusting in him. Our place is to be faithful, and the consequences are left with our God who never, ever fails. Man does not live by bread alone. Center of the bat, batted back to the devil. He's frustrated with that one, but he's going to come back with another temptation. And for you and for me, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the food, the clothes, will be added to you as well. Test God and try God in these areas. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for time in your word. Help us to know your word well and to know you well and to trust in you, whatever our circumstances in life might be, not to be helping ourselves primarily, but looking to you as our great God, our Saviour and our Provider. To your name be the glory, we pray. Amen. Well, keep our armour on day by day, praying for the armour of light for ourselves individually and for us as a gathered church in these days.